0: Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. it up back in chapter 20, verse 1. And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. You know, when we read this chapter, it's kind of like, why is this in here? It seems like kind of a bummer chapter. But you know what? I'm thankful that chapter 20 is in the Bible, is included in the Bible. Because if you read Abraham's life or you read about Abraham throughout the Bible, first of all, he's known as someone who's totally obedient to the Lord, right? In Hebrews eleven eight, it says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. I mean, can you imagine God saying, Pack up your family and move? And you'd be like, Okay, where? Uh, I'll tell you when you get there. I mean, that's that takes a lot of obedience. Um, so Abraham was known for his great obedience. He's also known for his great faith. Galatians 3, 9 says, So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. That's his title, believing Abraham. Not only that... But he's called a friend of God, right? In Isaiah 41, verse 8, But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. So when you look at the qualifications of the descriptions of Abraham, man, it's like, wow, what a guy. Um, But here, in chapter 20, we see what each one of us, if we were to be honest with each other, are familiar with in our own lives, and that's the weakness of our flesh, and the ease of falling back into old patterns of sin. I see it in my life. You probably see it in your life. We see it here in Abraham's life as well. So that encourages me because it's like, you know, we put Abraham on this pedestal. But you know what? He's a, he was a man just like, well, like us men or, you know, a human, I should say. Because we're not all men sitting in this room here. Um, <clears throat> if you recall, a few chapters ago, Abraham had lied about Sarah uh, many years ago when they went down to Egypt. And Abraham was rebuked then. And I can imagine he probably learned a very valuable lesson in trusting God and not fearing man at that time. But here, again, we see that same pattern of deceit repeated again. And what's the motivation? Well, it's because of fear. Abraham's fearing. He's fearing that the king of Gerar would take Sarah into his harem and kill Abraham, her husband. And you know what? His fear was not unfounded because... Abimelech did exactly that. He took Sarah, um, this 89-year-old babe, into his harem. (laughs) I I say that facetiously, but Sarah is 89 years old at this point. So it's it's an amazing thing. Well, Gerar uh, would later on become Philistine territory, and Abimelech... It's kind of like a title, like president. It's not a name of a person, but it's a title, um, like you know, President Trump. His first name isn't president. His name is Donald, right? So, so Abimelech was a title, um, not a name. And so Abraham, you know, he's not in Egypt. Remember, he went down to Egypt before he wasn't supposed to go down. He went out into didn't go to Egypt. Um, He's, this is not the Pharaoh, it's a different person altogether, so it's a different environment, a different time, but you know what, it's the same fear, it's the exact same fear, and Abraham responds in the fear in the same way, rather than by faith. You know, if if this chapter were not in here, I'd feel like there's no hope for me, because I'll be honest with you, I'm not always a man of great faith. I remember when I got that news about a year ago, man, I was freaking out there. And I'm, I'm here in Washington. What can I do? You know, and, and I didn't have, well, God's going to take care of it. I was, I was not a man of great faith. I was sweating bullets at that point. Um, I'm not always obedient. There are times when I, I do something and then later on I go, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm so sorry I didn't, I did that. Or, or I'm so sorry I didn't do what you've been telling me to do. And, you know, sometimes I revert back to old patterns of behavior. So I'm thankful that this chapter's in here. But you know, this chapter is more about God's grace than it is about Abraham's faith, this chapter. So let's continue on here, verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister, and she, even she herself, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. Listen, Abimelech is not a follower of Jehovah, okay? He's a pagan king. And yet the Lord reveals himself to Abimelech in this dream on behalf of Abraham and Sarah. It's going to happen over and over in the Bible. Later on, God's going to speak to Pharaoh in a dream, and it'll be on behalf of, of Joseph. Even later on beyond that, uh, God's going to speak to Nebuchadnezzar uh, in a dream, again, on behalf of of Daniel. Um, And I don't know if you've heard about this, but, you know, there are many Muslims who are coming to faith in the Lord Through dreams. They've been having dreams of Jesus, Jesus appearing to them in dreams. And so this is just a fascinating thing. So here Abimelech has this dream, and God basically informs Abimelech, he's a dead man. How'd you like God to tell you that? You're a dead man. Um, Why? Because he's taken Sarah um, to be in his harem, to be his wife, and she's actually married to Abraham. And Abimelech responds to God in this dream and basically said, I had no idea she was married. In fact, they told me they were, you know, brother and sister. And he says this, in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. By the way, this is occurring in a dream, right? Verse 6, and God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you, did, if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Man, you know, Abraham didn't need to lie, did he? He didn't need to. God would have protected him. Remember, God had promised Abraham and Sarah that they'd have a child. What they probably didn't realize or probably didn't remember is that the Messiah would descend from them. And so God's not going to allow Abimelech or Pharaoh or anyone else to thwart His will from being accomplished of, of the Messiah being born through uh, Abraham and Sarah. And so he they didn't he didn't need to lie. God would have took care of him. So then God tells Abimelech, Abimelech in his dream to restore Sarah to Abraham, and he says and, and to ask Abraham to pray for him. And then he says because Abraham is a prophet. Now, that's the first time that's mentioned in the Bible, someone being called a prophet in the Bible. What is a prophet? It literally means a spokesman for God. Now, typically, I think, we frequently think of a prophet as someone who foretells the future, right? They prophesy of future events. And and although that is true, that's not necessarily just what a prophet is. In fact, if someone does tell you, hey, I'm a prophet, and this is what God says this is going to happen, if it doesn't happen, the Bible says they're a false prophet. Good way. It's an easy way to find out whether they're a true or a false prophet. But prophecy is not only foretelling, but it's also forthtelling. It's speaking on behalf of God to man, and this is what Abraham is here—a prophet of God. Verse eight. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, and told all these things in their hearing, and the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in view that you have done this thing? I don't know, but have you ever been rebuked by an unbeliever? It's a lousy feeling. I've been rebuked by an unbeliever before. It's never fun. And so Abraham here, he's being rebuked by this Abimelech. Verse 11 So he gives them the reasons why. And Abraham said, Because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, This is your kindness that you should do for me. In every place, wherever we go, say of me, He is my brother. (coughs) Now I want you to just picture something for a moment. You know, Abimelech has has you know come to Abraham said, What are you doing? You know, why did you do this to me? You've done me this disservice, this wrong. You've sinned against me." Um, but Abraham probably doesn't know at this point that God has called him a prophet, right? This, that that was between Abraham and uh, excuse me, between God and Abimelech. And you look at just uh, Abraham's justification for lying. First of all, he says, you guys don't fear God here. It's, you know, that's kind of a cut, right? You guys, there's no fear of God in this place. And then she says, she technically is my half sister, which was true. But what's interesting is in verse 13, she says, When God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness that you should do for me. In every place, wherever you go, say of me, he is my brother. That word wander in verse 13, it's telling because it reveals Abraham's character or his attitude at the moment. Not his character, but his attitude at the moment. That word in Hebrew, to wander, it means to err. To go astray. It means it's, it's referring to wandering about like you're drunk, you're intoxicated. Um, it, it also means erring or being misled in a moral or a religious sense. This is what Abraham's saying. This is his attitude right now. He says, God caused me to err, to wander about. I mean, look at his attitude. It stinks right now. Um, and yet, God is telling Abimelech, hey, this is my prophet. And yet you look at Abraham you go, well, wait, what's the deal here? You see, the reason why Abraham is a prophet is not because of Abraham. It's nothing Abraham did. It's because of God. It's God's grace. Paul says in Romans 11, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Um, Abraham's attitude, it stinks right now, right? But that doesn't change God's call on his life. You know, the Bible tells us that you and I, we're, believer, or we're believers that we're saints, right? We're saints in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't feel like a saint. In fact, sometimes I don't act or even talk like a saint. But that doesn't change the fact that I'm a saint. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. Why? Because it's not based on us. It's based on God's grace. The Bible says even if we're unfaithful, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. So we see this Abraham, he's got this stinking attitude right now about God, and yet God calls him a prophet, because it's all based on God's grace. Verse 14, Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, male and female servants, and gave them to Abraham. And he restored Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. Then they bore children. So this time both Abraham and this time also Sarah, they're rebuked by an unbeliever. So that's chapter 20. Kind of a like, wow, that's kind of a a bummer chapter. But let's get to chapter 21, verse 1. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. What a contrast between chapters 20 and chapters 21. Here in chapter 21, God is faithful to his promise to Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child. It says, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. The Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. If you look back at chapter 20, Abraham, he said things, right? He gave his word, but what was it? It was a half-truth. It was meant to deceive. And under scrutiny, when Abimelech finally confronted him, the truth then was revealed. Oh, you know, she really is my sister, but, you know, yeah, I was deceiving you, basically, is what's going on there. Chapter 20. But we get to chapter 21. So chapter 20 is Abraham's word. Half-truth. Meant to deceive. Under scrutiny, finally, the truth revealed. In chapter 21, it's God's word. Man, it's all true. Things happen just as he said. Listen, Abraham's 100 years old when Isaac is born. Sarah's 90 god didn't uh, they didn't have a child figuratively it wasn't like well yeah you know i said you were going to have a child but you know really there was just going to be this person in your life that you'd consider them a child you know it wasn't they literally had a child just as god had said it was literal god did not deceive abraham in any way and under scrutiny what scrutiny well, under the time uh, under the test of time and trial god's word was pure the Bible says in Psalms twelve six, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. You can take God's word and scrutinize it, and it's still true. It's still pure. God says it, it's going to happen, just as he said. So Sarah had a child at God's set time. Now, obviously, it wasn't their set time. I'm sure they would have loved to have a child back in their 40s or 30s or 20s or whatever. And yet God and his set time gave them a child. It says, for Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of of which God had spoken to him. Again, Sarah's 90 years old. Uh, Abraham's 100 years old. You know what the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 11, verse 11, it says, By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Not only was the conception and delivery, uh, the not only was the conception a miraculous thing, but it was a work of God, but the delivery, God gave her the strength to have the baby. Verse 3, And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Remember, they were told, you shall name your son Isaac. It means he laughs. And of course, remember when when they received the news, uh, first of all, Sarah laughed, but her laugh was kind of like incredulity, like, yeah, right, it's going to happen. Abraham's laugh was more like, wow, awesome, I can't believe it, it's going to happen. you know, there's a little bit of a difference there. And so God says, you're going to name your son Laughter, or he laughs. It's a reminder to them. Look at back in chapter 20, what was the key word? Well, if you could pick a key word for chapter 20, I think the key word would be fear. Right, Everything was motivated by fear in chapter 20. What's taking place in chapter 21? Man, laughter, joy. Verse 4, then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Why the eighth day? Well, um, we know physically that the blood clotting agent prothrombin is at its highest level in an infant on the eighth day, so that's actually the safest and the earliest day to circumcise an infant. So medically, it was the right time, but that was what God chose. It's like it's almost like God knew that that would be a good time to do it, but you know, obviously He did. I like what Matthew Henry says: so God had kept time in performing the promise, and there Abraham, therefore Abraham must keep time in obeying the precept. It's like okay. God fulfilled his thing, now now they should circumcise Isaac, which they did. Verse 5, now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have born a son in his old age. Sarah's just blown away. God's made me laugh, and all who hear me are going to laugh with me. In other words, she's not going to keep silent about this. You know, I love it when you guys share what God's doing in your life. I can imagine Sarah's like that. She is just so full of joy and laughter. Anybody who hears me, they're going to rejoice. And so I want to encourage you, man, share what God's doing in your life. Share it with not only with believers, because she didn't know who's believers and unbelievers in this airport. She was just, I'm just, God's so good to me. And she started singing again and stuff. So, awesome. Laughter. Verse 8. So the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah, the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham scoffing. Sarah saw the son of, excuse me, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. Why was it displeasing? Well, obviously, Abraham loved his firstborn son, Ishmael. Obviously, he loved him. I mean, it's his son, right? Um, Henry Morris uh, writes this. According to the Newsy tablets, and I, I had to look it up what they are, but they're these tablets that were discovered in northern Iraq, and they're dating back to the time of Abraham. And they have all these Uh, rules, etiquette, and cultural things. And according to these tablets, it was expected of a man to provide support for a surrogate wife and her children, even if the true wife should later be able to have a child of her own. The latter, which would be the the one born of the true wife, would legally be the heir. But the former, the one who was born of the surrogate, would still be considered family. So they even had rules about hey, you, you can't just you have to take care of your children, even if they're from a surrogate. And so this would have been what what Sarah is saying. It would have been culturally unacceptable. So not only is there this love, I mean, it's his it's his son, but it's also it was culturally unacceptable to just kick them out like that. Verse 12 But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed should be, shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it to, and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. I don't know if you can imagine this. Maybe if you've sent your children off to college or, or maybe you had a child that lived in your home and, and then they, they got married and, and then you, you know that was the first time you sent them out. Um, can you imagine sending your kids off like in kind of a final type of thing, you know, that they're probably not going to come back again, you know, not to live in your roof, in your home. You're sending them away with like a sack lunch. <laughs> here you go. Here's some water and some bread and enjoy your life. It's kind of what scriptures implies here that Abraham did. I mean, listen, Abraham had flocks and herds and servants and slaves. He could have set up... Ishmael pretty good you know here's a hundred camels and here's a here's a year supply of food and here's this and he gives him a skin of water and some bread and says see ya that sounds really harsh doesn't it listen I think Abraham at this point is starting to learn that God's faithful to his word God had a plan and a purpose for Ishmael and Hagar also and I think Abraham's starting to understand this, and he, and Abraham is starting to trust God, and now he's giving Hagar and Ishmael an opportunity to trust God also, and to see His faithfulness. You know, as parents, because I'm a parent, I'm a grandparent. Um, sometimes, you know, we want to we want to provide everything for our children. We want to we want to be there for them. We want to, you know, if they if they're even when they're grown. Sometimes when I know my grown children are suffering or struggling, man, it's like, man, I want to do everything I can to help them. Why? Because I love them so much. I don't want to see them be without or anything like that. But, you know, I wonder sometimes if maybe we're not doing as good of a thing as we should be because we're not allowing them to learn to trust the Lord, to see God's faithfulness to them. You know, mommy and daddy are going to take care of us. And, and I'm a parent. I, I get it, man. It's it's a it's a tough thing to do, but I think sometimes maybe it's a good thing to allow our children, and certainly in, in the home, allow them to pray for things. Allow them to see God answer prayers, in their life. rather than I'm gonna just every time they want something I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to them because you know I'm their dad you know or I'm their mom. I'm, allow them to learn, develop that in your children to seek the Lord and to trust Him. Because God has a plan and a purpose for them as well as for us, and God's faithful. Well, anyways, I think that is what Abraham's doing here. Scripture doesn't lay it out and say that's what he did, but I'm guessing that's what happened. Well, not much water, not much bread. Look at verse 15. And the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of a bowshot, For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, what ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation." Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water, and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness, and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Can you imagine this, Hagar? You know, they're, they're out of water. They're they, it's it's hot. It's dry. They're they're. They're dying, literally, of dehydration. And so she sets her son, it says about a bow shot, however however many yards that is, from her. She goes and sits opposite there and just sits down and and waits for him to die because she doesn't want to watch him physically die, not realizing that God had a plan and a purpose for them, just like he had a plan and a purpose for Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. Just like God wouldn't allow Abimelech to touch Sarah or Pharaoh, to touch Sarah God had a plan God's not going to let Ishmael or her die of dehydration and the angel of God calls out to Hagar and what's his message basically fear not don't fear and then he says arise lift up the lad and hold him with your hand for I will make him a great nation now again is that was God being figurative is he like saying you know uh, he'll have a lot of kids and he'll be a you know he'll be a big family man or something God literally fulfills this. In fact, as you and I are speaking, or actually I'm the one speaking, you're listening, as we're sitting here this morning, our president is in the country of the direct descendants of Ishmael, Saudi Arabia, the Saudi Arabians. They're the direct descendants of Ishmael. God's fulfilled his word exactly as he said. You can take God's word to the bank. You can trust him. And here, Hagar is sitting you know, she's sitting a, a ways from, from from Ishmael because she doesn't want to watch him die. And God says he stand up, and as she stands up, within eyesight, she sees a well of water. So have you picture that? Here she thought she was dying and she's within eyesight, however however far you can see, I don't know if that's a mile or whatever, she's within eyesight of a well of water. They're in the wilderness. God finally opened her eyes to see it what a lesson for us not to look at our circumstances but to look for the at the lord for his provision what a lesson that is if only we would just keep our eyes focused on the lord he'll guide us he has a plan and a purpose for each one of us now this whole story here i mean it sounds so harsh I mean, it sounds like Sarah's being pretty... I mean, it's like, it's my child, get that one out of here. I mean, it sounds pretty harsh in my mind, right? Well, the Apostle Paul takes this whole account of Hagar being sent away in Galatians 4, and he says it's symbolic. What occurred there, literally, is symbolic of two covenants. He says in Galatians 4 that the son of the bondwoman, Ishmael, is a picture of the old covenant of the law, you know, the law of works. You do this to earn your own righteousness, and being, you can't earn your own righteousness, so you're a slave to it because you'll never, you'll never be free from it. You'll always be in bondage to the law because through the law we can never earn our own righteousness. And so the son of the bondwoman, it's a picture of the law. It's a picture of, of, of trying to earn our own righteousness through the works of the flesh. Excuse me. The son of the free woman, however, is a picture of the new covenant of faith. Through faith in Christ Jesus, right our righteousness is through grace by faith we 're free from the bondage of the law when we 're in Christ Jesus you, and you know the Bible teaches us we can 't inherit the kingdom of God through that old covenant of the law of works it 's only by faith through the spirit, and so here this picture you know you have to cast out the son of the bondwoman, you know the application I think, especially for us. As believers, you know, uh, it it applies to our flesh and the spirit, right? Uh, We can't please God through the works of the flesh. It's only by faith through the work of the spirit. That's the only way we can please God. There has to be a separation, even a painful, a harsh, there has to be a separation inside of us from the works of the flesh. We have to divorce ourselves from the works of the flesh and rely strictly on the works of the spirit by faith. Paul writes in Galatians 3.3, 3, he's writing to the Galatians. He says, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? We're born of the Holy Spirit, right? It's a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Everything is by faith and it's through the spirit. But then the Galatians, they were falling back into legalism, trying to please God through works. And Paul says, have you begun in the spirit? Now you're falling back to the works of the flesh, in Romans eight twelve, we're going through Romans on Wednesday night. In Romans eight twelve, it says, "Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to live to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. For but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live." In Galatians five verse sixteen, he says, "I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust uh, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit." And the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Remember, it was Ishmael that was mocking Isaac, the son of the bondwoman. The picture of the flesh was mocking the picture of the faith. You know, it, 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 the flesh lusts against the spirit. There, there's a you you, tr- you know, as Christians, sometimes we try to, to balance that. You can't, you can't walk in the flesh. You have to walk in the spirit. They're contrary to one another. He says, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then in verse 24 of chapter 5 of Galatians, he says, And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You know, Abraham casting out Hagar and Ishmael seemed like a very drastic thing. and And it was but it's symbolic of what you and I need to do. It's the drastic action of casting out the works of the flesh. We have to crucify, as Paul says, crucify the flesh with its passions and its desires. We get to verse 22. Kind of the scene changes here. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, now by the way, this is a different Abimelech, okay? This is a different time, different, Abimelech again was a title, right? So it's, it's a different person. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I will swear. Listen, Abraham's growing in faith and obedience to the Lord, and it's starting to show to the people around him. His heathen neighbors are seeing a difference in him. Hey, we're noticing that God's with you in all that you do. And maybe as a result of that, Abimelech is becoming a little fearful. You know, God's blessing him so much, you know, maybe maybe he's going to attack me or so. So he says to him, swear to me by God that you won't deal falsely with me and with my offspring or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and and to the land in which you have dwelt. And I can imagine as Abraham's sitting here and he's hearing Abimelech saying this, don't deal falsely with me. He's probably like, it's all coming back, you know. The Lord, the Bible says when we confess our sins, you know, we're forgiven. And as far as the east is from the west, so far he's removed our our sins from us, our transgressions from us. God doesn't remember our sins, but sometimes I remember What I did before, you know, it comes up and I remember. And I'm thinking Abraham's probably thinking about the last time that he dealt falsely with a different Abimelech. And so this guy comes and says, don't deal falsely with me. And Abraham, I think he's learned his lesson because we don't read of him doing it anymore. He says, okay, I'll swear, I won't. He makes this agreement with Abimelech. But then in verse 25, it says, Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? And he said, You will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, that they may be my witness, that I have dug this well. Therefore he called that place Beersheba, because of the two of them swore an oath there. I want to read you a couple of Proverbs. Proverbs 17, verse 10 says, Rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. Proverbs 25, verse 9 says, Debate your case with your neighbor, And do not disclose the secret to another, lest he who hears it expose your shame and your reputation be ruined. One more. Proverbs 27, verse 5. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. All these dealing with, if you have a dispute with somebody. Jesus, in Matthew 18, verse 15, says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. See, Abimelech and Abraham, they're joining into this covenant, right? They're going to make this agreement, this, this treaty of peace between them. And before Abraham can really finalize it, there's something he needs to clear up. What? Well... Abimelech's servants, they took a well of water. They, they confiscated it, or they, they kept Abraham and his servants from using it. Now, in a desert climate, a well, it was valuable property, right? I mean, water. You don't get it everywhere. So it was a valuable thing. And so Abraham, he says, hey, I, I want to clear this up with you. And, and, he, and, he, and he talks to Abimelech. Well, what is, it turns out Abimelech wasn't even aware of it. It was his servants. He didn't know that his servants did that. Now, by dealing with this up front and right away, Abraham, for, on his part, he's prevented a root of bitterness from springing up in his own heart. But it also makes that, that, that covenant just that much more true and, and, and honest between the two of them. He can truly enter into an agreement with Abimelech. And, you know, that's a lesson, I think, for us in our own relationships and, you know, sometimes we, you know, we just think someone feels this way and we don't say it and we never address it and, and then our hearts can grow bitter or there could be a strain in a relationship. Things would be so much better if we would just follow what the Bible says and what Jesus says. And, and again, not propagate it to the, to the world. Hey, guess what this person did? But go to him privately and say, you know what? You've offended me. You, you did this and, you know, it hurts or you've you wronged me. And, and, and so what a lesson that is. And Abraham does this thing. And now he can enter into this covenant with a clear heart he's complete he he's it's it's done it's over with what a simple thing if we would just do that you know sometimes you know pastoring this church sometimes people they get offended or whatever happens and they leave and they they never deal with it and and maybe it's something that maybe it was a misunderstanding or something they never address it they just poof, they're out of here and and what happens well you know. I, I don't know what happens with them, but from their standpoint, yeah, there's probably some bitterness there. There's, if they had just come and let's let's talk about it, let's maybe maybe there's some misunderstandings that we can we can straighten it out. And you know it's easy to do that. I don't like confrontation. I don't know about you. I hate confrontation. So my tendency, my flesh wants to just back away. But this but the word says no. You're you're, you're to come to one another in honesty and in love and and deal with these things in the open. So Abraham does this thing. Verse 32. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Phicol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. So Abraham, he resolves this dispute over this well that Abraham dug. He makes this treaty with Abimelech, and Abimelech and Phicol, they leave in peace. Man, it's done. They, they've, they've got this, this treaty, so to speak, going on. And Abraham plants a tamarisk tree. Now, did he plant it as a memorial or maybe just as a shade tree? It, the Bible doesn't really tell us. But it says, there he calls on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. So, you know, the, all this stuff has happened. What does Abraham do? It's kind of true to his character. He worships the Lord. He worships the Lord, the everlasting God. He's probably reflecting back, man, God's been faithful to his promise regarding Isaac. He's also been faithful to another promise. In Genesis 12, 2, God told Abraham, he says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Remember what Abimelech said to him? Man, I see that God is with you in all that you do. And I think Abraham is just looking back and, and maybe he's realizing that his attitude was stinking, and yet God's blessing him, and he's just like, God, thank you for allowing my life to have an influence on somebody else. Thank you. What what a thing to for you know that that should be our prayers this morning or this coming week. Lord, let my life be a blessing to someone else let me encourage someone else let me let me let my light shine so that people see that there's something different about me that would draw them to the Lord I, I think of that lady in, in the in the in the airport and I kept thinking Lord I wish I was as bubbly and singing all the time like that I I don't I'm not quite you know there's a little personality there too right but still I want my life to have an impact on the world around me and and I so I think that's what Abraham's doing you're just Lord I bless your, everla- your everlasting. I mean, your promises are true. What you say you're going to do. You're faithful. And, and then just thanking the Lord for fulfilling his promises. That he is doing a work in Abraham. Abraham is, uh, he has a reputation. Of course, it's not, you know, he wants to have a reputation. But he wants to glorify the Lord God. And it's happening. And he's being a blessing to those around him. What a, what a good thing. Why don't you stand? Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and Lord, we pray, uh, Lord, just as Abraham was rejoicing over what you're doing in their life, in his life, Lord, Lord, we just ask that you would take our lives, Lord, and that, Lord, our lives would be a blessing to those around us, Lord, that we would be an encouragement, Lord, that people that would see us, Lord, would see you in us, Lord, that we would have that joy, that Sarah and Abraham had, Lord, the laughter, the, the joy of the Lord, Lord, that that would, would, be just, would just flow out of us and that we couldn't contain it, Lord. Lord, I know that some of us maybe are going through difficult times right now. Lord, maybe we don't see the end, or maybe all we see around us is is a dead end, or, or uh, all our hopes seem to be dashed right now. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that we would keep our eyes on you, and that, Lord, you would reveal that stream in the desert Lord. that each one of us need Lord that you you have a plan there's a purpose even in what we're undergoing now Lord there's a reason for it and that Lord we would keep our eyes trained on you and that Lord we would be sustained by you and by you alone. And so we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, you didn't figuratively fulfill these promises, Lord, but you literally did. And Lord, that gives me strength. It gives me hope to trust that the promises that you've made to me, Lord, you will fulfill just as you said. And so we thank you and we bless you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.